Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, ko William Rayaho. Welcome to Black Sheep. This is part two of the story of Gustavus von Tempsky, the famous mercenary adventurer who fought in the New Zealand wars of the 1860s. Before we get started, just a heads up, we're going to be hosting a live recording of Black Sheep at the Bread and Circus World Buskers Festival in Christchurch on January the 26th, which is in fact my birthday. It's going to be all about the history of executions in New Zealand. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then please come along. Tickets are free, but you do need to book your spot in advance. I'll put a link up on our website or you can just Google Bread and Circus Black Sheep. Also, my good mate Melody Thomas from the Bang Podcast is also holding a live show. It's the next day, so book your tickets to that while you're at it. Anyway, back to the show. We finished last week's episode at the end of the Waikato War, the siege of Odako, where about 160 Māori, including large numbers of women, were killed trying to run from an encircled pa. The end of that siege left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of British troops. Here's Waikato War historian Vincent O'Malley. Many of them do come to view it as a war of conquest and disposition for the exclusive benefit of New Zealand settlers and... You know, they ask themselves, why should we be fighting this war? What benefit does Britain gain from this war of dispossession? None at all. Those frustrations only grew the next year when the troops were deployed to yet another front of the New Zealand wars. In 1865, 1,400 soldiers were sent south to Whanganui to crush Māori resistance to land confiscation in Taranaki. The opposition to this campaign was particularly strong among the Irish troops who could see parallels between Māori suffering and their own history. Begora, it's a murder to shoot them. They're our own people with their potatoes and fish and children. Who knows, but they are Irishmen with faces a little darkened by the sun who escaped during the persecutions of Cromwell. The leader of the British troops, General Cameron, had similar misgivings. He refused orders to take his men out into the bush to attack Māori fortifications in Taranaki. But not all soldiers were anti-war. A lot of the troops who were recruited in New Zealand, people like von Tempsky, had a very different perspective. Many of the colonial troops stand to benefit personally from what happens. Von Tempsky himself um, receives 400 acres of confiscated land in the Waikato, and many of the other um, forces as well you know, have that kind of personal stake in what takes place. Um, and I think they also have this kind of darker view of Māori, and those attitudes kind of harden as the wars go on as well. So while some of his fellow troops were getting more and more cynical about the war, Von Tempsky kept writing about it like it was all a big adventure. 
As we mentioned in last week's episode, Von Temsky wrote prolifically for the newspapers even while he was out on campaign. We rush with frantic valour into the bush. The bush was calmer than ever. We traverse and jump from tree to tree. Strange is this bush fighting. Mysterious. Blue smoke, green leaves, perhaps a black head. Cries, defiant, soul-rending. This gung-ho attitude to the war was very popular with the settlers reading von Temsky's articles. And there's a fairly strong possibility that this writing had an element of, well, pandering. Because while von Temsky's public writing was all very positive about the war, in private letters to friends he revealed some much more cynical views of what was driving the conflict. It makes me laugh to read the home twaddle vainly struggling with political data and trying to make out a case of outrage on the part of the colonists. The home wisdom thought of preaching and cajoling the natives into a belief that we came here only for the good of the Māori. <laughs> Nearly everyone came here to better his own circumstances. Could a shrewd people like the Māris belong blind to this? No. They also saw that we were gradually getting the better of them, and therefore decided upon one final great effort to free themselves from their friends, and that is the cause of this war. Basically, what von Temsky is saying is that he thought Māori were justified in some of their grievances against the Crown. He's saying that Māori could see that Europeans were taking control of the country and acknowledged that they were at least partly justified in fighting the colonial government. Now, compare that private letter to von Temsky's public writing, where he says things like, Reclaiming a heaven-blessed country from the ill-directed guidance of savagedom is as noble a cause as a man may wish to fight for. I'm not saying von Temsky was a total fake. He wasn't some kind of armchair general. He was always agitating to be in the thick of the fighting and seems to have genuinely felt that a more aggressive war was in the interests of colonial New Zealanders. But it's hard not to suspect that his articles about the war were written with half an eye on helping his own career. They made him very popular with pro-war factions in the colonial government. Here's a letter he wrote to his wife about his reception in Wellington after one particularly successful campaign. I arrived here on the 26th of May and went to the government offices after breakfast. The news of my engagement had preceded me. I was hailed with universal flattery. Von Temsky was just as good at schmoozing with the rich and powerful as he was at fighting out in the bush. Here's Andrew Moffat, a writer and researcher at Pukeariki Museum in New Plymouth. When he was back on his on his sojourns in Auckland, he was very much part of the uh, the high society there. He he had his uh, his singing voice. He was very much the uh, the swashbuckler. He's a very good self promoter, isn't he? Absolutely, and you don't want to forget that whenever you're trying to um, wade through the historical accounts of him. A writer, guitarist, fabulous artist, kind of a Renaissance man. And again, it's not all hype. Von Temsky genuinely was an extremely talented guy. His paintings were spectacular. He could sing and play guitar and piano. He spoke four languages fluently, although he never bothered to learn te reo Māori. 
he was this cult-like figure of the day. As I say, when New Zealand didn't have a lot of folk heroes, he, he was somebody that for a lot of ordinary settlers, um, they could relate to him, and he was kind of heroic in their eyes. To call his rangers in long, tall boots looking fine A coat revolver and a bowie knife by his side Von Temsky's public image made him useful for pro-war factions of the government. Prime Minister Frederick Weld was looking to change up the war in Taranaki. He wanted to replace these reluctant British troops with local colonial forces who would take a more aggressive line against Māori. Von Temsky was the perfect figurehead for that plan. Weld described him as the great bulwark of the self-reliant policy, the lion of the hour, who had done more to raise the character of the colonial force than had been achieved by any other officer during the war. It looked like Von Temsky's star was rising. He clearly thought he was destined to become a senior officer in the New Zealand military. His first step along that path was to become the overall commander of the forest rangers. But he ran into a snag. Some people felt like Von Temsky was getting too big for his boots. Here's what one fellow officer wrote about him in a letter. I do not think Von Temsky is a better officer than many of those now at Tauranga. He is a good writer, (laughs) takes care to puff himself up on every opportunity. Von Temsky himself believed this kind of attitude was part jealousy and part xenophobia against his Prussian heritage. And he was probably right about that, but it's kind of hard not to resent someone who talks themselves up as much as Von Temsky did. These opponents managed to get another, more junior officer promoted over the top of Von Temsky to lead the forest rangers, and that was the start of a very nasty fight. He was obviously felt like a man on the rise, and uh, he wasn't wasn't happy with uh, playing second fiddle. Von Temsky was furious. At a glance, I saw all the points of my situation and decided, although with an indignant and bleeding heart, to throw away my hard-earned position rather than allow my manhood to be trampled upon. Holt tried to dissuade me, but I only laughed at him, wrote my resignation and handed it to him. There's actually a story that Von Temsky challenged the Defence Minister to a duel over this whole thing, although that's probably not actually true. The government refused to accept his resignation and eventually he was put under arrest for disobeying orders. But at this point, Von Temsky's powerful friends and his popularity with the public came to his rescue. His troops threatened to mutiny, and the newspapers were full of editorials supporting him. It appears on the face of it a gross abuse of power. It inflicts an irreparable loss on the country, for the colony cannot afford to dispense with the services of Major Von Temsky and men such as he. Von Temsky was totally aware of how this fight was playing out in the public eye. He wrote to his wife saying, The government is in a most awkward fix. Half of them like me and wish well to my cause. The other half hate me. The public is oppressive with its offers of service and shows of sympathy. (laughs) Never was a greater good done to me than when my enemies attacked me openly. Von Temsky knew how to play the political game and he knew how to use his reputation to get what he wanted. And to be honest, there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but it does sort of undermine this romantic image of Von Temsky as a simple soldier following orders. The guy clearly had ambitions. 
Anyway, while Von Temsky was facing a court of inquiry for his insubordination, the government changed hands and a much more pro-war faction came into power. Von Temsky eventually managed to beat the charges which were levelled against him and he was sent back to Taranaki under the leadership of a new general, Trevor Shute. This is a guy who probably deserves his own Black Sheep episode somewhere down the line. During Shute's campaign in Taranaki in early 1866, there are you know, multiple prisoners who are simply killed because um, it had been decided that the prisoners weren't being kept. General Shute launches a campaign out into the bush. It's pretty short, but it marks a turning point in the New Zealand wars. He doesn't really bother too much with the niceties of whether they're so-called rebels or loyalists. He just attacks first, kills the people, destroys the settlements. General Shute's tactics have been described as a scorched-earth campaign. Because, you know, everything is set alight, basically everything is destroyed, uh, or crops or cattle or whatever, sort of taken away and looted by the troops and everything else destroyed. The objective is to render the settlements uninhabitable. You can count the people who are killed as a result of the attacks, or you could also add to that the people who probably die later on because... They no longer have any food. Von Temsky and his forest rangers played a starring role in General Shute's scorched earth campaign, and Von Temsky himself was a big fan of his tactics. This was perhaps one of the smartest annals of New Zealand warfare. There is no doubt that General Shute's style of warfare is fast resuscitating the prestige of Dash in the British soldier. Now, even in his own time, von Temsky's view of General Shute's campaign was controversial. Politicians complained about avoidable cruelties, and a senior figure at the colonial office in London sent a letter to the governor noting that the campaign featured more destruction than fighting. But most settlers, and particularly the pro-war elites in Auckland, were right on board with von Temsky's view of the war. By this point, he's probably the most famous person in the country – Here's what he wrote after arriving back in Wellington. I am known here to man, woman and child. If two persons passed me, one says to the other, that is von Temsky. And he wasn't only famous among Pākehā. Taranaki Māori had a special name for him, Manudo. It means a hundred birds, which is probably a reference to how he moved through the bush swiftly and sort of seemed to be everywhere at once. We're going to talk a bit more about how Māori viewed von Temsky in a minute, but first, let's deal with the final chapter of his story. The peace in Taranaki didn't last long. The Māori prophet and leader, Rifa Titukawaru, had tried to find a peaceful solution to the creeping confiscation of Māori land, but those attempts failed. The following year, his men started raiding farms and military outposts, Simultaneously, another Māori prophet, Te Koti, started fighting a guerrilla war on the east coast. To the colonists, this looked like a very grim situation. One of the Wellington newspapers writes an editorial calling for the extermination of Māori, which is, you know, even during the Waikato War, people didn't talk in those terms, or at least newspapers didn't publicly advocate the extermination of Māori. But by 1868, it's kind of got to this point... You know, in, in the Gisborne region, Natapa, early 1869, where you have up to 128 Māori prisoners, 
executed, shot off the side of a cliff. And the atrocities weren't all on one side. Titukawaru began a deliberate campaign of intimidation. His followers would cut out the hearts of dead soldiers and burn them in religious ceremonies. He sent a letter threatening the cannibalism of colonial troops. Von Tempsky was called back to the battlefield. His last battlefield. The assault on Titukawaru's stronghold. Tenutu or Temanu. We talked about this battle in a previous episode of Black Sheep about Kimball Bent. Tenutu or Timanu was a complete disaster for the colonial forces. Many of their troops were inexperienced and there are allegations that their commander was slow to give orders when the battle started to turn against them. Maori warriors were hidden in hollow trees and undercover. The troops could barely see where the bullets were coming from. One by one, the troops were cut down. Picked off by hidden, hidden marksmen around the path. Eventually, their commander gave the order to retreat. There's some harrowing stories of some of the survivors crawling out, uh, wounded. According to one story, a soldier who was too wounded to carry on asked his comrades to shoot him, only to be handed a loaded revolver and told to save the last bullet for himself. And really, everyone was in disarray uh, after, after this battle. As those troops came crawling out of the bush, word started to spread. Gustavus Ferdinand von Tempsky, the greatest hero of colonial New Zealand, was dead. Exactly how he died isn't quite certain. Lots of different people claim to see him killed. One soldier described it like this. Our brave old major was walking to and fro with his sword in hand, furious at being caged as he was. I met him and he spoke to me in his kindly, thoughtful way and asked why I did not take cover. I answered by putting the same question to him. He then said, I am disgusted. If I get out of this scrape, I will wash my hands clear of the business. I left him to obey the last order he ever gave. I'd not gone far when a man of our company was shot. The Major went to his assistance and was shot. He fell dead on top of the man to whose assistance he was going. That was how von Tempsky died. Different witnesses have different stories of von Tempsky's final moments. Some say he was shot in the head, others say it was in the chest. Some say he was furious about the disaster of the attack, and others say he was angry that he was being ordered to retreat. Some even suggested he was depressed or sick or so keen to win a Victoria Cross that he deliberately put himself in the line of fire. All agreed that several other troops were killed trying to rescue him or to recover his body. One Māori who was on the other side of the battle described it like this. One bullet struck him. I have always believed it was mine. One of his fellow soldiers ran to pick him up and he fell too, shot by one of my companions. Others ran out to rescue the fallen Pākehās, 
until soon there were nine men lying dead or wounded around Manurau. According to oral traditions like this one, which was collected by the early 20th century historian James Cowan, Māori were thrilled to have killed such a famous European warrior. You might remember from our previous episode on Kimball Bent that the Battle of Tenutu or Timanu is said to have ended with the cannibalism of a British soldier. That soldier wasn't von Temski. According to Kimball Bent, several Māori did want to eat him, but Titukawaru forbade it out of respect for von Temski's mana. Although we should probably treat that story with a little bit of suspicion because Kimball Bent was a bit of a notorious liar. Once the news got out that von Temsky was dead, the whole colony went into a kind of national mourning. One newspaper wrote that... The name of von Temsky and others will ever remain emblazoned on the escutcheon of imperishable fame they had won in New Zealand. Another said... Major von Temsky fell fighting gloriously. His loss is irreparable. He'd painted himself and been painted as, as sort of invincible, I guess, so when that was proved um, not to be true, that would have come as a shock for lots of people. Von Temsky's death only added to his fame. His troops refused to serve under any other commander. They mutinied and they had to be disbanded. And this mourning didn't end any time soon. Twenty years later, Thomas Bracken composed a ballad called How Von Temsky Died, that's the same guy who wrote our national anthem. There's this little passage where he, he terms him as one who followed glory's beacon from boyhood till he fell, dying like a valiant soldier after fighting long and well. List the story of Von Temsky, master of sword and lance. Brief the record, yet it seems like some wild legend or romance. So that's the kind of narrative that was being generated and was very convenient for people who were wanting to see the war as some kind of legend or romance where the the settlers tamed the land, fought the brave Māori and now had the best race relations in the world. It was that kind of narrative that was coming out. And what sort of complicates the picture, at least like in the writings of people like James Cowan, who was sort of writing a wee while ago, obviously, is that they write that Māori themselves were reasonably big fans of Von Temsky at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that sort of wishful thinking on the part, on the part of some of those writers? <laughs> yeah, or? I've asked that same question, to be honest. Um, there's varied opinions out there. Like, I've, I've heard very much on the side that, that there was, you know, very little respect for him, uh, but I've also have heard that he was held in high regard. So I think it would depend who you talk to, to be honest. People were certainly keen to claim uh, that they killed him, that they that they fired the fatal shot or dealt the fatal blow. So I guess that's a backhanded compliment, isn't it? You might be wondering what Taranaki Māori today think about Von Temski's story. And I actually had hoped this podcast would include an interview with a Ngāti Ruahine Tōhunga who knows a lot of iwi history of Von Temski. Unfortunately, that fell through at the last minute because some... Um, complete morons decided to organise a crate day at Tenutu or Temanu and he had to go deal with that. So instead we're going to be talking to him next week as a sort of bonus extra podcast. Anyway, 
This uber-romantic view of von Temsky began to fade over time, particularly after the First World War, when the story of Gallipoli began to replace the New Zealand Wars as the most significant conflict of New Zealand history, at least in the mind of Pākehā New Zealanders. Since the 1970s and 80s, people have been willing to take a much more critical line on von Temsky. He's been called, for example, like just a bloodthirsty mercenary, a glory hunter and a terrorist, I think I think that's something that's understandable when you when you realise that this is someone who who travelled around the world and obviously you know forged a military career in wars that caused so much damage and continue to cause damage for people. But to what extent we can lay lay everything on on his doorstep, I think that's that's really up for debate. I don't really know what to make of von Temsky. He's a deeply contradictory figure. He was controversial in his own time. On one hand, you have the hero worshipping from his troops and the colonial settlers, the first-hand accounts of his extreme bravery, his brilliance as a military leader. On the other hand, you have some of his fellow officers and more than a few politicians who thought he was a puffed-up, self-aggrandising braggart. He often wrote scathingly about British troops who failed to live up to the codes of chivalry, particularly when it came to women and the wounded, but he also praised scorched earth indiscriminate raids on Māori, who he often wrote about in straight-up racist terms. And these contradictions have played out nationally through history. He started off being remembered in the most ridiculously overblown romantic terms you can imagine. That ballad would be one example. Now the pendulum swung, even to the point of calling him a war criminal and a terrorist like Andrew Moffat mentioned. And it doesn't look like Von Tempsey's story is going to be forgotten anytime soon. There have been dozens of books and songs and documentaries about him. I guess you could throw this podcast on the pile too. And if you go to any major museum in the North Island today, you'll probably find some bits and pieces which are linked to him in some way. I've started calling it Von Tempskyana a little bit. There's, there's Von Tempskyana in collections around the country. Yeah, like you got his sword and his, one of his bowie knives and all kinds of stuff all, all over the place. And, you know, when you say a sword, I mean, that's, that's really uh, interesting because it seems like his sword was a magic sword. It's somehow magically multiplied into, into many different places. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's got a, got a Von Tempsey well, sword. Well, you know, it's amazing, really, like where they crop up. About eight or nine I've come across. Which is the real one? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, we've got one at Pukiariki that is uh, that is said to be the real one, but uh, again, that's very questionable. <laughs> he came for the gold, and he stayed for the fighting. Adventurer bold, on Tamsky by name. And the stories they told Exploits exciting Raced and rode All over this land Brave Von Tempsky Died with a sword in his hand Very special thanks to Andrew Moffat from Pukiariki Museum and to Vincent O'Malley For more on the Waikato War, I highly recommend his book, The Great War for New Zealand. For much more information about Von Temsky, you could go and read the biography by Rose Young. I'll just warn you, it is by far the biggest book I have ever seen. 
For more Black Sheep, you can subscribe via your favourite podcasting app of choice. While you're at that, please remember to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends all about us so they can enjoy this podcast too. RNZ has many other fantastic podcasts for you to enjoy. We've actually just launched a new business podcast. It's called Two Cents Worth. It's kind of like a New Zealand version of Planet Money. So if you're a fan of that show, then go and check Two Cents out. Black Sheep is written and presented by me, William Ray. The executive producer is Tim Watkin, and our sound engineer is Phil Benge. Our voice actor for Von Temsky is the fabulous James Kane. We also had help from Duncan Smith, Adam McCauley, and Simon Dickinson. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.